That's the new family motto, actually. We don't have to keep secrets from each other, but we will. National treasure, Danny. You say his full name. And I went to do a roundhouse, roundhouse pig to pick him, and I <laughs> fell on my tailbone. How dare you, sad piano? I'm a demon wolf. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Calissa Mollis, and I'm joined by Kate Colvin and Will Wallace. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 6, Motel California. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The Beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, Full Moon AMAs, The Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com slash RTBH Podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at Return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. This week's episode is titled Motel California, and it was written and directed by friend of the pod, Christian Taylor. In it, over three decades after an Argent hunter who had been bitten by a notorious werewolf committed suicide at the Glen Capri Motel, the Beacon Hills High School cross-country team spend the night there. The motel has the dubious distinction of having the highest number of suicides of any motel in California, and it looks like the trend is going to continue when wolfsbane poisoning nearly drives Boyd, Ethan, Isaac, and Scott to harm themselves. Their drug-induced madness causes strain with Allison, Danny, Lydia, and Styles also at the motel. Meanwhile, Jennifer gets the critically injured Derek back to his loft, where things take an unexpected turn. Bringing things full circle, Chris goes to an unlikely source for the information about his uncle's death all those years ago. Our favorite quote this week comes from Styles. Now, that's not a surprise, but what is unusual is that it's not a funny quote. This is definitely the defining quote of this episode. Styles says, you're not no one, okay? You're someone. You're... Scott, you're my best friend, okay? And I need you. Scott, you're my brother, all right? So so if you're going to do this, then I think you're just going to have to take me with you then. Powerful Aww. stuff. I know, it really is. For our honorable mentions, we definitely went more in the funny direction because there was still some humor in this episode. Toward the beginning, Coach Finstock says, this is the closest motel with the most vacancies and the least amount of good judgment when it comes to accepting a bunch of degenerates like yourselves. You'll be pairing up, Choose wisely, and I'll have no sexual perversions perpetrated by you little deviants. Got that? Keep your dirty little hands to your dirty little selves. I think this is really interesting that when they're in Beacon Hills, Coach is always looking after his students. What, you don't think Danny's hot? You don't think you could go out with him? Is that what you're saying? But then when they're on the road, he's like, listen, you little perverts. <laughs> you know, and it's just like outside city lines. <laughs> he turns into like a very strict teacher that's because so, he's uh, a chaperone that's true yeah that's very true it's on him if someone gets pregnant that's <laughs> very true that's very true also his union rep was on that bus in the back <laughs> was looking with that clipboard ready to go it's like if there's a pregnancy coming out of this you're so in trouble so yeah <laughs> 
Our next honorable mention is an exchange between Lydia and Allison. Lydia says, I don't like this place. Allison says, I don't think the people who own this place like this place. It's just for a night. Lydia says, a lot can happen in one night. She ain't wrong. Yeah, I know I said that. Yeah, right. I know I said that the first quote was like the defining quote of the episode, and I stand by that. But the one that summarizes the episode best is probably a lot can happen in one night. Yes, absolutely. Our last honorable mention is a discussion between Scott and Styles about the Dirac and who Styles thinks the Dirac could be. Scott says, four? You have four suspects? Styles says, yeah, it was originally 10. Well, nine, technically, I guess. I had Derek on there twice. <laughs> oh, no, Styles. We see you. <laughs> All the hails are on his list, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. First, in this episode, we get a viewer discretion is advised warning. We also advise listener discretion for this episode of the podcast. We'll be talking about suicide, abuse, and sexual assault. The episode starts in the 1970s when an Argent came to stay at a secluded motel called the Glen Capri. Oh, that dusty desert motel in the wastelands of Burbank. If the camera pans too far to the right, you're going to see a street. Yeah, I went past it on a bus one time. It was really fun to see it, but it's not like in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. And I think it's close to the Disney offices too at Burbank. Having been bitten by a werewolf, he recited the code in French before killing himself. Oh, he said qui. You don't say qui, it's key. Qui, qui. In the present, continuing where the last episode left off, the school bus stops at that very same secluded motel. Ah, that's such a good transition. Yeah, it's great. I really wish Jared had been the first off the bus being like, I'm going to vomit. (laughs) With the cross-country meet postponed, Coach Finstock has the teenagers pair up two to a room. In the script, there's actually a little bit more to this. He begins handing out the keys and he says, you and you, fine. Scott, Styles, Ethan, Danny, behave yourselves. Oh. Allison, (laughs) Allison, Lydia. Allison? Lydia? Allison grabs the key as a confused coach looks after them, but then he gets back to addressing the team. So there's actually an Allison coach moment in the script where he's like, wait, you two aren't supposed to be here. You're not on the team. At least you finally noticed. <laughs> yeah. And that would have been their only interaction for the entirety of this I series. know. We missed out. Yeah, wow. we did. That moment. Wow, wow, wow. Coach warns them to keep their hands to themselves. You can jack it, but nothing else. Hands on yourself. <laughs> It is implicit in what he's saying. Indeed. Lydia says she doesn't like the motel, and a lot can happen in just a single night. This ominous point ends the teaser. I like that last shot. Yeah, it's really cool. There's an extra scene here in the script. While the other team members hurry past, Allison pauses to glance at Scott down the balcony corridor. He gives her a reassuring smile and disappears inside his room with Styles. Stepping into her own room, Allison drops her bag, but then notices Lydia is still at the threshold and willing to enter. Allison says, you're really freaked out, aren't you? Lydia replies, I just have this feeling like coming here wasn't an accident. Allison says, what do you mean? Like we were supposed to come here? Like fate? Lydia says, I don't know, something. Allison takes her by the hand, drawing her inside. Allison says, I don't believe in fate. Lydia, well, maybe you should start. As Allison draws her inside, the door slowly closes behind them to reveal the room number 217. Cool. I wish that Lydia had responded, I don't believe in werewolves. Yes. Right? I was just thinking that. (laughs) In their motel room, Styles tells Scott about his suspect list for the Drock. He has four suspects down from 10, counting Derek twice. Why is Derek on there twice, honey? Because he's obsessed with him. At the top of the list is Harris, who's still missing. It's interesting that they never found his body, and his was the only one that they didn't. 
Yeah, because yeah. they have scenes of all the other bodies being discovered. Scott says it could be someone else from school, citing Matt as an example, since they never thought he could be a killer. Styles protests that he absolutely called that from day one. The fact that no one took him seriously doesn't change that. No one appreciates Styles. Oh my god, it's it's so true. He absolutely called that and he consistently did. was like, Matt's evil. I hate his face. He is evil. <laughs> Murder face. Mm -hmm. Scott changes the subject back to Styles' Duroc suspect list. Styles lists the next two suspects, Cora and Deaton. So the line is slightly different in the script. Styles expands on the whole thing with the whole Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. I don't buy it. And let's not forget, Obi-Wan completely lied about Vader being Luke's father. So he like, you know, completely just spoiled Star Wars for Scott, who's Huge. never seen it. Huge spoiler alert. <laughs> So Cora's on the list because no one knows anything about where she's been the last six years and Dean because Styles doesn't like the whole Obi-Wan thing he's got going on. It's more like R2-D2 over here. Beep boop. Scott's confusion makes Styles realize that Scott still hasn't seen Star Wars, which makes Styles crazy. The final suspect, Styles hates to admit, is Lydia. She was controlled by Peter and didn't know it, and this could be a similar situation. Okay, so he, does he just put his crushes on this list? Basically, it's his crush list slash murder list. Except for Dean. Except for Dean. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Another red herring. Yes. Always the red herring. Always the red herring. Never the Never murder ride. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Jennifer just barely manages to help Derek back to his loft since he refuses to go to the hospital. Oh, that's right. We get some sex magic in this episode. It's very, very upsetting. Yes, it is upsetting. The POV shots are kind of going in and out. They shouldn't have done that if they wanted us to feel like, yes, this is consensual. You could kind of, um, no, I don't even believe that as I'm saying it. I was going to say you could maybe make the argument if it weren't for the POV shots that suggest he's kind of going in and out, but I don't even think that's true. We have Jennifer making comments about his body being attractive in the exact same sentence as talking about how he's bleeding half to death. That's just not an okay time to talk about someone's body that way. And I think if their genders were switched, and this is not like a reverse sexism thing, but sexism hurts everyone. And there's definitely this idea that like women can't assault men in the way that men can assault women. And that's not true. That's right. If it were reversed and you had a woman who was possibly inches from death, close enough to death that all her so-called allies left her ass there for dead, okay? But Kate, that was like a whole episode ago. It, it it was, but stay with me, Wolfies. And then she stumbled into some dude while pretty much bleeding to death. And then that dude took her home and was taking her clothes off and was like, oh my God, you're so hot and bleeding to death. And then they had sex. I don't think any rational viewer would be like, well, that was fine. This is all fine. It's really not fine. It's not fine at all. Like just because he's a man and bigger than her, it, it doesn't make it, consensual or the fact that he's normally stronger than her but probably not in this situation that doesn't make it consensual either and even without the pov shots showing him not being totally cogent at this point there's the fact that he's dependent on her right now for survival there's the fact that he's incredibly vulnerable in this situation in a way that she isn't and don't think the fact that she's a teacher at beacon hills high school where he was a student has escaped my attention either i know the canonicity of on fire is contested but there was a time that it was deemed canonical and kate's comment about how she would go after Jackson if she were a substitute teacher in season one feels like a canonical reference to the fact that in On Fire, Kate was a substitute lifeguard at the Beacon Hills High School pool when she preyed on Derek. So there's that. But regardless of that canonicity, what is unambiguously canon is that the sexual relationship between Kate and Derek constituted rape by deception. So either way, there's a sense of this being kind of re-traumatizing. And on a related note, and I swear I'm done after this, I remember getting on Tumblr after this episode aired and seeing someone say, did anyone else notice that this episode is about all the characters at the motel facing their worst nightmares and this is Derek's storyline? I hadn't even thought about that aspect until I read that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. That's really 
good point to make. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. All of which is to say, this is not what consent looks like, Wolfies. Only yes means yes, and consent is only consent when it's fully informed and freely given. That means the exchange of consent is explicit, ongoing, free from manipulation or deception, and approach with all parties on equal footing so that no one has undue influence over anyone else. Well said. Yep. At the abandoned mall, Chris studies the marks left behind by the big fight with the Alpha Pack. In the script, there's some changes to the scene order, and this scene actually doesn't take place until Act 3. Interesting. I wonder why they chose to move it up. Maybe just to balance it out more. Hmm, yeah. While Chris is putting together how the big fight happened, he realizes that Allison must have been involved. Argent being Sherlock Holmes over there, piecing together what happened, it kind of cracked me up. I liked it. He went to his mind palace. His bone arena, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll never be over bone arena. No. Never. When Scott looks at himself in the mirror, he sees a flash of red in his eyes. Is my jaw crooked? <laughs> it's such an adorable jaw. I love it. It is. It's a good face. This is another one that in the script it occurs later. It's actually combined with the hallucination that he has of Deucalion and Melissa. Oh, that's interesting. I guess that makes sense because Deucalion is specifically talking about you're an alpha now. Mm-hmm. That's true. Styles heads down to the vending machine where he encounters Boyd. Is Coach even going to feed these kids or is he just giving them some quarters and say, hey, have fun? He probably didn't even give them any quarters. Yeah. At the vending machine, Boyd seems to be really out of it. He puts in his money and enters the number 201, but his peanut butter crackers get stuck in the machine. Before Styles can show Boyd his patented method to get the snack out, Boyd punches through the glass. Can't believe Styles is going to try that shit with the vending machine again after what happened in season two. I was literally just about to say that. I mean, I did 100% believe that Styles would... But it also is just hilarious. Also, I love how Boyd pulled out the entire spring when he grabbed his crackers and then Styles does the same thing and just takes the spring with him. He doesn't even drop it. And equally out of it, Scott creeps on Allison while she's in the shower. He says that they could be closer friends and maybe being together like that would fix things between them. Allison startles him out of his reverie and Scott seems confused about where he is and why he's there. So sorry, Allison. I was uh, just feeling horny. You know how it is. Scott apologizes and leaves. Lydia approaches the front desk for new towels that don't smell like nicotine. The desk clerk gives a somewhat sarcastic apology. I recognize this desk clerk from stuff. Yeah, I I looked her up after we watched the episode. She's done a lot of guest work, like Six Feet Under, Lost, Criminal Minds. Oh, Lost, yes, yes. She's in this great episode that's all about four billion beans. That's all I'm going to say. Everyone go look it up. It's fantastic. Also watch Lost. It's amazing. Four billion beans. Oh my God. Lydia asks about the number posted behind the desk. The clerk says that it's an inside thing for the motel that her husband insists on keeping up. The number of suicides that have taken place at the Glen Capri, which is 198, the highest of any California motel. Good for you guys being number one at something. Honestly, I love this. It's like a creepy pasta. Allison talks to her dad on the phone. In the script, Act 2 actually opens on Jennifer and Derek, not Argent and Allison on the phone. The name Glenn Capri rings a bell with him. He offers to come get her and Lydia, but Allison says it's just for a night. Chris tries to encourage Allison to tell him anything she might have been keeping from him, saying they don't have to keep secrets from each other. But we will. That's the new family motto, actually. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to keep secrets from each other, but we will. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately for him, Allison doesn't say a word about showing up to fight the alphas at the abandoned mall. Did she just say that she was going to see the meet? Because he knows she's not on the cross-country team. Is he not wondering why she's there? 
Yeah, I wonder what exactly her cover story was. At Derek's loft, Jennifer takes off Derek's shirt to assess his injuries. She comments on his unbelievable physique, even though he's bleeding black blood, and adds that this isn't how she imagined their first date. The abs that are all still in one piece look amazing. In the script, Jennifer says, to be honest, the oh my god would be for your unbelievable physique if it weren't for the fact that you're bleeding black blood. I thought you were some kind of creature of the night. You're not an alien, are you? Huh. But yeah. So she, she just alien. thought black blood doesn't strike me as creature of the night-ish. I guess not. It's not any movies. Well, she's seen the X-Files. She knows what happens with black dude. Oh, yeah. Lydia goes back to the motel room and tells Allison about the disturbing conversation she had with the desk clerk before getting distracted by hearing a couple discuss suicide. Their voices seem to be coming through a vent from the next room, but Allison can't hear them. This is so creepy, and I love it. Oh, it's very creepy. I like how the air stops coming out of the vent after Lydia hears the gunshots. Lydia and Allison go into the next room to investigate. They find nothing but a room covered in plastic and construction tools. I have a hard time believing they want to renovate any of these rooms. Oh, I don't think that's renovation. I think that's from when a serial killer stayed there. Okay, so Dexter committed a murder in this room. There was a crossover. Dexter was here. Yeah, and just had to leave unexpectedly and left everything there. Cool, cool, cool. Despite not finding much, Allison tells Lydia that she believes her. I'd like to highlight Allison saying this believing Lydia the first time Lydia tells her something. Yeah, it's really great. She owes her like 20 I believe yous. Yes, she owes her many of those. On the wall, Lydia sees what look like screaming faces in the wood panels. Oh, those wood stains look so good. Yet another thing Jeff drew in the room. Really? Oh yeah. Looks great. Yeah, I love it. This episode is so good. Meanwhile, Boyd has a strange hallucination when he goes to get a bucket of ice. He sees a young girl's face in the ice maker and hears her voice saying, Don't leave me. You weren't supposed to leave me. Why did you leave me? I'll take things we should have gotten more information about for 500. But Boyd wouldn't have been nearly as mysterious if we knew anything about his backstory. I mean, at this point, it might as well have been a refrigerator instead of a freezer. Lydia tries to convince Allison that they should leave. And leave everyone else behind? Uh, yeah, everyone else can handle themselves. Get Scott, get Styles, Boyd, Isaac, and Jared seem kind of cool. Can't really leave Coach. I mean, he's kind of a dick, but he's still Coach. Everyone else, though. Danny? You're going to leave Danny behind? I was literally about to say Danny. William. Everyone else can stay. So Ethan, you're leaving Ethan behind. <laughs> just, and a couple red Ethan. shirts. <laughs> Yes. A couple red shirts. Exactly. I can't believe you said Jared before you said, before you said Danny. Danny like, is very capable. E uh, Jared looks very fragile. He needs he to does. be protected. Meanwhile, Isaac hallucinates his father berating him. Oh, poor Isaac. I can't tell if that's actually John Wesley Ship's voice, but I assume it is. It doesn't sound like it to me. See, I didn't think so either. I feel like it was probably just someone else because it probably would cost a lot to just bring him in just to do like that quick voice work. Perhaps. Mm, yeah. In the script, the exchange is between it's late he and young Isaac, and it's completely in voiceover. President Day Isaac doesn't participate in it at all. It seems more like the scene in which Lydia hears the couple next door, like he's actually hearing the memory play out in the room above him because it talks about like him hearing noises above and footsteps. Okay, so it's like him, we're seeing him hearing it, but he doesn't right. say anything like he does in the actual episode. Right. I like it a lot better where yeah. he's like, yeah, doing both sides. Yeah. Here. Yeah, it they is, decided yeah. to go high fidelity. Isaac then hallucinates that he's being locked in the freezer again. I have a picture of that, that freezer on the carpet on the stage. It's great. Freezers, yet another seemingly innocuous place that is terrifying in Beacon Hills. Lydia and Allison go back to the front desk and see that the sign has changed from 198 to 201, which could mean that there have been three more suicides 
or that there are about to be three more. Scott's mom calls him, sounding upset. She tells Scott to look outside. Finally, some Melissa McCall! Through the window, he sees Deucalion with his claws at Melissa's throat. Deucalion says that Scott is an alpha now. Scott protests that Derek could still be alive. Deucalion says he isn't, and that means they're coming for Scott and his loved ones. He kills Melissa. Not the perfect Melissa McCall. Friendly reminder, that's the guy you were telling Derek that he should not murder. But then, Styles comes in and startles Scott. Scott realizes that it was just a hallucination. Meanwhile, things get hot and heavy between Danny and Ethan. Get some Danny. National treasure Danny. You say his full name. <laughs> Ethan accidentally kicks Danny's books off the bed. Adorable dork. Ethan notices Danny's scars from surgery he had to correct the misshapen cartilage he was born with. Ethan asks, what if there was a way you could make them disappear? What's wrong with them? Ethan, it's people like you that made me self-conscious about my big heart surgery scar. Now I love it, but it's no thanks to you, Ethan. Ethan hallucinates that spine splitting, a reversal of the way his and Aiden's spines knit together when they become a giant alpha. Oh, that looks so good. Yeah, I like how that looked. He then hallucinates faces pushing themselves against his skin from the inside as if there were someone trapped inside his body. That, not so much. Oh, it's very 1999 mummy, but I love that movie, so. I do too. I mean, I realize now it's very white gazy, but it's special to me because it was the movie I was watching when I realized I was bisexual, which is apparently a thing. All of that being said, that was 1999? Yeah, but for 2013. No, exactly. This was many years later. True. Ethan tells Danny he'll be back in a minute. Allison, Lydia, and Styles discuss their situation. Styles wonders if this goes beyond the motel, like they were supposed to come there so that the three werewolves could become the next set of three sacrifices. They find a Bible in the room that contains articles about the suicides that have taken place there. But before they can go get Boyd, Isaac, and Scott, they hear Ethan in the next room. When they rush in, they find Ethan trying to cut himself open. Styles goes to wrestle a handsaw from him. He nearly lands on the handsaw before Lydia manages to unplug it. Oh my god, Styles. You know, Styles, he will throw himself in front of any sharp object or bullet to save anyone. I like how Lydia is like, or unplug it. Thank God for her situational awareness. I do like the shot where he almost lands on it with his face, though. It's yeah, very final destination-y. Yeah. yeah. Ethan burns himself on a space heater and comes out of the hallucination. Now, originally I was thinking, who left the space heater on in that room? Big mistake, it could totally burn down. But then the script actually says that the heater's being used to, like, dry the paint. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Like, I was like, why the f*** is there a heater on? Like, this seems like a cheapo motel. No one's working in there. Like, what are they doing? But then, yeah, apparently it was to dry the paint. I mean, you're right, though. It still could burn the place down. Oh, yeah, it's not a great idea. It's just explains why it would be on. At the loft, Derek tries to get up because he needs to let the others know he's not dead. The Beacon Hills metropolitan skyline looks great at night out that window. <laughs> Jennifer asks if he's considered using his fake death to his advantage, like in Les Mis, Tale of Two Cities, and Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, because that worked out. I know, right? Yeah, don't mention that one. It ends in a double suicide. Interesting, given what's happening in this episode. Yeah, she hasn't actually read the book. She just knows the T-Swift song. Tay-Tay said it was fine. Jennifer goes on to say that he looks like one giant open wound. You can't say that to someone and then sleep with them. She's like, mm, you want to see my giant open wound? Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, guys, we have to put a link in the show notes to the Vagina Museum's explanation of the 19th century poem about the devil being terrified at the sight of a vulva because a woman told him it was a wound. In the script, it actually describes this poem as Derek barely responds at first. 
as if he doesn't even remember how to kiss someone. But then, despite his injuries, the bruises, the cuts on his body, pulls Jennifer to him and begins to kiss her back. The whole, like, he doesn't even remember how to kiss someone, like, really, like, destroyed me. Yeah, Yeah, that is incredibly sad. Styles reluctantly admits to Lydia that he thinks the situation feels familiar. It's similar to her birthday party when she poisoned everyone with wolfsbane. Did you poison us again, Lydia? Poor Lydia. Gosh, she's having such a rough time. Meanwhile, Boyd also deals with hallucinations. Filling out that undershirt, all right, Sinquois. So true. Praise. He hears an interview between a younger version of himself and a police officer. He had been supposed to keep an eye on his younger sister, Alicia, who disappeared while skating at the ice rink. Young Boyd asks if she's dead and if it's his fault. Why do you think he would want to work at the ice rink after that? Maybe he kind of thought that someday she would come back to the last place she saw her family. That is incredibly sad if that was the reason why. Oh, but good character drama. Wish we could have talked about that some more. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time. Right, guys? Oh, plenty of time. Kate's face. (laughs) At the loft, Jennifer says that she couldn't find any bandages. Derek says he normally doesn't need them, and all that he needs now is time. He warns Jennifer that the people around him get hurt. That doesn't deter her. Don't worry about her. Worry about yourself. If they just kissed, I'd be like, okay. But it doesn't stop there. She could get blood on her. That's how bad this is. And this is only a couple episodes after we saw him pass out upright. And there's a shot during this sex scene where he's like not moving until she touches him. And it reminds me of that. It's really unsettling. And you can see he still has the like the black veins, which means like they're really bad off. Yeah. I just imagine her also being like, I also couldn't find the condoms anywhere. Oh, God. At the motel, Lydia hears a woman talking about drowning her crying baby in a bathtub and then killing herself. This is so sad. The tragedies continue as Boyd uses a heavy safe to weigh himself down and drown himself in the bathtub. I don't totally get this. If he can carry the safe in there, can't he just push it off too? I think the idea is that it's heavy enough that it takes a concerted effort to lift it. So like the body's natural thrashing might not actually lift it. Ah. Sounds scientific and therefore accurate. <laughs> Lydia and Styles come in, but they're not strong enough to lift the safe. Lydia asks how long Rails can stay underwater. Styles says, you think I know that? Well, I mean... He was in that pool with Derek. Right. If anyone has that experience, it's you, Styles. When Styles burns himself on a heater, he remembers how getting burned on the space heater brought Ethan out of it. Maybe, he thinks burning startles the werewolves out of their hallucinations and it could do the same for boyd the problem is boyd is underwater not his feet though lydia says there are probably emergency road flares on the bus which have their own oxidizers and can burn underwater or you could just burn his foot like will said lydia's already come up with one brilliant thing tonight and like you know the road flare thing's pretty brilliant too like you ask so much of her true (laughs) styles races down to the bus and back up to the motel room with the flare Ah, oh, running there like the Olympic runner. Like a maze runner. Oh, there it is. They burn Boyd underwater and he comes roaring out of it half shifted. Oh, that looks great. Looking like the Terminator there, Sinqua. I feel like there needed to be more like, are you okay? And putting a towel around him and hugging him and rubbing his back. They just kind of stand there when he gets out of the tub. In the script, when he comes out of the, his trance-like state, he's saying like, my sister, she's gone. So they're kind of like distracted. Like They're kind of like asking like, who he's talking about because he keeps saying like she's gone she's gone my sister she's gone oh so they're trying to like get him to tell them what he's talking about yeah Yeah. for a second and then it cuts to the whole isaac thing yeah there is like actually something that kind of would distract them from that that happened in the original script interesting they use a flare on isaac too 
Then they go looking for Scott. These scenes intercut with a sex scene between Derek and Jennifer. Ugh. Uh, Dino, stop doing such good work on this. How dare you, sad piano? Right? But now prepare to have your emotions destroyed, audience. I actually think there's even more scenes intercut in the script. Like more of a sex scene? Between like, yeah, what's happening with Scott and Scott Styles and Derek and oh. Jennifer. Because I think like they're supposed to be showing like that he's healing. Like there's more of like him healing during oh. the sex. Got it. Like more focus on that. Okay. Got it. Well, maybe they thought just the one shot we do actually get was enough. And maybe didn't want to take away from the brilliance that's coming up next. I think it would have been bad to add versus that. Yeah. Allison, Lydia, and Styles find Scott holding the last flare, having doused himself in gasoline. Scott says there's no hope, not for him or for Derek. When he fights back, more people get killed. Thinking back to when he was first bitten, Scott remembers that he and Styles were no one. They weren't popular. They weren't good at lacrosse. I hate to break it to you, Scott, but I think you're still not all that popular. Yeah, I mean, y'all were doing okay in popularity. It's really just a lacrosse. And, you know, and one of you still isn't really good at it anyway. <laughs> he doesn't really need drag styles into all of this. <laughs> Scott wonders if the best thing he could do for everyone else would be to go back to being no one. No one at all. But Styles protests that Scott is someone. He's Styles' best friend. His brother. And if Scott is going to do this, then he's going to have to take Styles with him. Ugh. Don't know Brian's ability to do the whole like tears in his eyes during emotional scenes. Oh, so good. And this is such a great scene. Yeah. Yes, it is. Styles steps into the pool of gasoline and reaches for the flare. You're so good to him, Styles. So good. Scott lets Styles take the flare and Styles throws it behind him. I feel like throwing it wasn't the best idea. No, no. He should have held onto it and slowly walked away with it. Maybe hand it off to Lydia or Allison. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But then the wind picks up suddenly, moving the discarded flare back towards the pool of gasoline. Yeah, more Final Destination shit. <laughs> yes, it is. Lydia sees it in time and tackles the other out of the way, just barely avoiding the flame. Oh, here comes the reveal. When she looks back, she sees a hooded figure rising up in the red-tinged smoke. Beneath the hood is a strange, twisted face. It looks great. Ah, so fucking cool. And you just barely see it too. Like it's just frames. Ah, so good. Yeah, it works really, really well. The next morning, Coach Finstock finds the gang sleeping on the bus instead of in their motel rooms. He decides he doesn't want to know what that's about. There's a random guy sleeping at the back there. And I can only imagine that he came out there because, you know, he's like, the important ones came out. Coach announces that the meet was canceled. So they're just heading home. On the bus, Ethan, still looking rough, that although he doesn't know what happened last night, he's pretty sure that Scott saved his life. I feel like Ethan's face would have been healed by now. I remember thinking that too when we were watching it, because he's got some bruising kind of like uh, on his cheekbone. And I'm like, it's been hours. That should be like baby soft and perfect again. Styles interjects that actually he was the one who saved Ethan's life. Shh, the wolves are talking, Styles. In return, Ethan gives Scott intel. The Alpha Pack is pretty sure Derek is still alive, but he took out one of their own, which means one of two things will happen. He actually didn't, but no CSI nerds in the Alpha Pack, I take it. <laughs> Either Derek kills his current pack and joins the Alpha Pack, or Kali kills Derek. Lydia notices something about Coach's whistle and takes it from him. When she blows it into her hand, she finds a purple powder, Wolfsbane. That's really cool. So every time Coach blew the whistle on the bus, the werewolves inhaled Wolfsbane powder and were poisoned by it. That's how the Duroc did this. Not wanting to take chances, Styles throws it out the window. It's funny because like in the episode, he just, I think Coach yells, Stolinski. But in the script, he turns back to see like Coach glaring at him and he just says, I'll buy you a new one. <laughs> oh, I kind of like that. 
Yeah, yeah, me too. I think it would have been cool if they went back to the front desk at the end of the episode and the number had gone back down to 198. Nope. We're going with the big reveal that Grandpa Death is still alive. Which, duh. Chris Argent visits his notably not-dead father at Beacon Hills Nursing Home. It's the second such visit in a month. This time, he's come to ask about his uncle Alexander Argent's suicide at the Glen Capri Motel in 1977 after he'd been bitten by a werewolf. Chris wants to know who bit him. George says, it was Deucalion. So dramatic. Oh, he's such a dramatic <laughs> bitch. A dramatic end to an excellent episode. Yes, a fantastic episode. One of the best of the show, I think. I totally 100% agree. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Motel California. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. Isn't it obvious? You're an alpha now, Scott. I'm not. I'm not. Derek. Derek could still be alive. He could. He's dead. You know he is. So now I'm coming for you. You and everyone you love. I'm coming for all of them. Right, Wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Felicia Terrell, who played Kali on Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. So Felicia, how did you get into acting? So I had kind of a, you know, an interesting road getting into acting. I went to college, University of Iowa. I graduated with honors and went into Fortune 500 healthcare consulting. I don't know why. Oh. That's, yeah, that was my was my first kind of uh, job out of school in corporate America. I did take an elective my senior year of college, which was acting, and I fell in love with it. But, you know, that Midwest work ethic, which you guys know, right? You go to school, you get a good job. So I kind of put in the back of my head, like, you know, I love this. I always loved entertaining. Danced, you know, really as a recreation, recreational passion, you know, growing up. But Nothing that I thought I could do, you know, in terms of making a living. And then I ended up getting another job in corporate America, pharmaceutical sales. I worked for Pfizer, of all, mm. of all people. And my job, the company, the company I actually got hired by was bought out by Pfizer. So within that year, I knew I was going to lose my job, right? So they offered me a severance package and I took it. And I moved to Arizona, which was, I had family there. And that was kind of... I like to say, um, because I had a little bit of stability knowing people there, that was kind of uh, all the guts I had to move that far out west at that point. So on a dare, which sounds very childish, one of my friends said, well, you don't have a job right now. You have a severance package for six months. Why don't you audition for the Phoenix Suns dance team? And I'm like, for, no, I'm like, I haven't danced in years. I'll never make it. She's like, well, what do you, what do you have to lose? I'm like, well, you're right, nothing. So I auditioned, 500 girls auditioned for five spots. And during the second round of, of these auditions was the interview. And the Ford Robert Black modeling agency at the time was one of the judges. Um, the owner, um, Cherie Hartwell, was, the, was one of the judges. And she asked me a bunch of questions and what did I want to do? And had I ever modeled? And I said, yeah, when I was young, but that's it's not really something I'm interested in. Long story short, I make the team at the same time, get another pharmaceutical job. So I have a full-time job. I'm now dancing for the Phoenix Suns professionally. 
I start modeling that year. That ends up getting me signed to Ford in LA. At the time, uh, Ford LA and New York had a, I guess, kind of like a crossover business model with Innovative Artist, which is a big acting, you know, mm-hmm. talent agency for models who wanted to cross over into acting, which, you know, I'm, I was getting closer and closer to kind of pulling that trigger. And so, yeah, a year later, I moved to LA. I signed with my agent two weeks after being in LA, who I'm still with to this day. And it's nice. like 15 years later. Yeah. So that's how I got into acting was on a dare, on a dare <laughs> for dancing. Yeah. That's an incredible story. Yeah. yeah wow. So many like left turns Twist in and it. And <laughs> But all great stories start with, well, it started with the dare. And uh, so, yeah. awesome. I mean, it's, I like to tell younger actors too, like, um, not even younger. It doesn't matter what age you start, right? And it doesn't even have to be acting. If you have a passion or, you know, a goal to do something, chances are it's kind of put on your heart for a reason and it's never too late. <laughs> and you just, you know, timing is always perfect. I always say so. Nice. All right. Yeah, well, it's great. How did that perfect timing lead to Beacon Hills? Well, a lovely woman by the name of Wendy O'Brien, who cast Teen Wolf, as you know, she called me in for the role and I was super excited about, I mean, there's so many things about, you know, Kali that are just, to just she's just a badass, right? She's mm-hmm. fierce, you know, she, I think like to say she was ahead of her time because this was years ago and now, you know, the future is female and now we're really moving into women's empowerment, but she was really ahead of the game. I love that she was physical because, um, I mean, I do martial arts, uh, done Krav Maga, been a kickboxer for over 10 years. So to be able to get to, you know, maybe do some of those things was exciting. And I love that she was, you know, the only female alpha in a pack of men. That's fun. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. How much did you know about the character when you got cast? You know, really not too much. I mean, I knew that she was an alpha. I knew that she was the only female, like I mentioned in this pack of men, that she was always going to be barefoot. That was interesting. I did know that oh. uh, because it mentioned it in the breakdown. I, I wish I still had it, but it was, it, it mentioned her long toenails and that was something that was, you know, definitely a part of her, of her character. But other than that, I, I didn't know. I knew she was going to be a part of this new kind of you know, group of the, you know, bad guys, if you will, for mm-hmm. season three, but I didn't know um, anything beyond that. So on the subject on the long nails, what was it like moving around and especially doing like stunt work and fight scenes wearing those long toenails? Yeah, I mean, it was challenging. I mean, I, you know, I always advocated to do as many of my own stunts as I could within reason that they would allow me to because of obviously insurance and safety also have, you know, one of the best stunt women, Caitlin Deschel, who who doubled for me for you. She's amazing, as you guys all know. But I mean, I did a lot of my stuff and and also like shooting in Griffith Park in at four o'clock in the morning barefoot and like, you know, the costumes was awesome and they tried to figure out ways to kind of maybe put moleskin, if you guys know what moleskin is, mm-hmm. on the bottom of my feet to kind of protect you know, walking around like on twigs and branches and whatever, but you just learn to kind of suck it up. And it, in a way, I think it just taking all, stripping all that away and, and just going barefoot. It was just the kind of method ways was the character, right? So 
I toughened up, my feet toughened up and uh, it, it made sense for Kali because that's how she rolls. Were you aware of Teen Wolf before you got cast? I had heard of it for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, I knew of the movie, but then when I, I heard that they were, you know, they had made a show and obviously, I mean, Jeff Davis, like you can't, you cannot not know like his background with criminal minds and everything like that. So that was already intriguing to me because I knew the writing was going to be good. And of course, when I got a little further into the audition process, I started binge watching and then I, you know, got sucked in as we do. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was the Teen Wolf set like? So much fun. Honestly, so much fun. It's like, I, I'm sure as you guys have talked to so many other people, they all say the same thing. It's funny, uh, family setting. Everyone just, I mean, we would get together at Jeff's house and, you know, watch the show. And the set was, you know, just a lot of laughs. Like, I just have a lot of good memories. I, you know, wasn't there extremely long, but um think very fondly on my time there made some very good friends along the way who I'm still very close with Haley Webb and I are very good friends to this day so you know and it's nice I like to see where you know these actors have gone on to do amazing things like everyone is you know doing really well so I feel like they did a great job casting seeing all the talent and then you know what it would turn into Leading, for, leading to, you know, people's careers down the road. Absolutely. Yes. It was a very yeah. talented cast. Yeah, for oh, yeah. sure. Yes. Embarrassment of riches. For <laughs> sure. Absolutely. What was the process like of getting into the wolf makeup? You know, for me, it was actually pretty easy, which, you know, I, people always ask, and I know on, I've asked this, been asked the question before, and I think on some fan sites, they're like, oh, well, Kali never fully transformed. I didn't on camera. I never did. But when I got the role, they had me go in, as you know, our special effects makeup was incredible. And I had to do the whole, you know, clay cast to kind of make all the pieces, um, you know, if they were ever going to transform me. Um, I'm kind of sad. I never got to fully wolf out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I saw, I got to see it, um, what it would look like with the prosthetic pieces on the cheeks and the hair on the ears and all that. But they never fully did that with me. So really, I'm going to, honestly, it was simple. I mean, it was my, my nails on my fingers and my toes took probably, I don't know, 20 minutes, if maybe even less than that. Oh, wow. um, yeah. I mean, it's easy, right? They're, they're kind of just glue on, right? Um, putting the teeth in. I mean, that's easy. They were already, you know, together. The, the part I had to really get used to, and I know Gideon Emery, as you know, plays uh, Ducali and didn't was hard. It was hard for both of us to get used to the contacts. Those are it just because um, they're not. I don't wear contacts in my own life, but they, from what I've been told from people that do, these contacts are bigger. They're just a little different. And mm-hmm. we had a great team of people that would put them in, but there were times when we would need a break because you just start to like you know, your eyes start crossing. <laughs> like, where am I? I mean, at least I could still see. I mean, Gideon was literally made blind. Like he couldn't see at all, but you know, it was fun. It's such, it's so fun. Like, you know, playing, playing a character like that, that's truly a creature and outside of, you know, your normal human self. Yeah. 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 Are there any actors or characters you wish you'd had more scenes with? 
I mean, Styles, yeah, he's so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the, I mean, the, it's so so many. I mean, but I mean, I just really I gravitate to humor, and I just love his character. He is that's so actually. Yeah, kind of a related question. If you could have played any other character or creature on the show, what would you have wanted to be? Oh man, that is low. That's tough. It, it would it would involve rewriting history and changing, you know, what had to be, but I would have liked to have been the leader of the Alphas. I would have liked to have been Decalion, you know? Like I I would have I would have liked that. Also, I think he got to do so much cool stuff, like just sensory wise to, to be able to be visually impaired while doing these scenes. I think it gets, gives you even more of a freedom as an actor because you're not, you know, you should never be watching yourself, right? You should always be present, but again, you're relying on just hearing people's voices and their tone and how you're reacting versus seeing their face right and and working off them in that way it's challenging in another way and so for that reason as an actor to geek out as an actor that would be cool but then also just I don't know I would I would like to see a woman in that position and see maybe if things would have ended up differently yeah that would have been really cool yeah it'd been cool right I mean maybe she overtakes him you know I don't know and uh he's relegated to just I don't know, to being, you know, have to having to listen to me. I don't... <laughs> nice. It's funny you bring that up because we actually had a fan question of what do you think would have happened if Kali had become a leader of the Alpha Pack? Well, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen them really flesh out the more of the history with, you know, Jennifer, aka, you know, Julia. And, and Kali to see that history, because I, I think there was a lot more there that, than we got to see. And I think Kali's line that she walked, unfortunately, uh, was, was love or power, right? And she really, you know, I don't think she was forced to make that choice. I mean, she was pressured, and, but she ultimately made the choice. And I, I personally believe she regretted that, but she was already so far down that road. Right. Yeah. And I think there weren't as many options open to her, or at least she didn't see a path to those other options had she made a different choice. So it, it would have been interesting. I mean, I feel like had she been really put in that position of power, like who knows which way she would have chose. Like I want to root for, I mean, I don't think there's the, the, the notion of good guys, bad guys is kind of hard, right? Because no one thinks they're the bad guy. They right. don't. Right. Yeah. Right. They, they, there is an inherent reason in a drive of why they're doing what they're doing, right? So, yeah. but without knowing Kali's full history and backstory, it's really hard for us to judge without having that vantage point of knowing like what drove her to do what she did, who, who hurt her, yeah. right? Or who betrayed yeah. her because hurt people hurt people, right? Yeah. So um, I think that's, that would be something so interesting to explore. And, and then also maybe you know, if given that opportunity or someone who saw the goodness in her, that she did have that ability to, you know, to have mercy with Julia in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's something deeper to her there. And if someone would have seen that, could that have turned everything around for her? We'll never know. It's interesting to think about, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's interesting that you bring that up. One of the things that I wanted to ask about was 
the relationship between Kali and Julia because it's really the crux of the whole story of 3A because that's the connector between the Alpha Pack and the Duroc storyline. So that's really the whole season plays out around that relationship. But at the same time, we don't really get a lot of details about what that relationship was like before the betrayal. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about that at all? Like what the nature of that relationship was like before Kali made that decision? I did. And I think, you know, and, and Haley and I talked about it, you know, we didn't have an extremely long amount of time to talk about it because, you know, you get a script and it's kind of like, okay, well, this is, you know, we didn't know months in advance is my point. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but as actors, you know, and you talk about that history, um, I think they were very, very close. And I think that, that Julia was a, you know, I think a confidant, not only a confidant to Cully, but like a moral compass, right? I think she kept her grounded. I think if you think about it in a way of like, you know, you know, that what's the, the parable of like, which, which wolf do you feed? That's the mm-hmm. one that grows, right? I think, mm-hmm. she, I think Julia really had, she had Cully made the choice to kind of go that path. I think she was the first one that saw the goodness in her and saw all of those things I just talked about. And I think they did forge a very close bond. At the end of the day, Kali made her choice, right? And, but still in that moment could not kill her friend, you know? And, and, you know, and we, we talked about it was like, was it, was it more than that? Could, could have very well been more than that. I, I think she loves Julia. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason why she couldn't, make that final blow right but but ultimately you know she wanted that position of power so she was recognized and not relegated to being you know just a a a wolf that really had no say and no no pack and no power right so I think she ultimately had she made a sacrifice and you know and it and it and it came back to to haunt her obviously yeah. You know, but but in those final moments, I also think I do think she wanted she had so many other things to say, but her pride got in the way, right? And so and that happens to so many of us, I think, in life, at least one, you know, one time or another, you know, we we know what we feel and what we should express, but you know, we shut it down for whatever reason. And, you know, and that was that. That's awesome to hear. That's 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 so interesting because you know, like it, when you, when you talk about characters and like and what they're bringing to the table in a story, there's all, every character has their fatal flaw. You know, the the thing that they have to either get over or they're stuck right. with forever. And and right. and unfortunately, she was stuck with it. You know, because it's some some hurdles are just too high. And yep. but it's but it's always interesting to kind of hear. You know, the, the 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 at least in this case, like the limited the limited time you and Haley had to talk about you know, kind of like what that is and how it fed into to Kali's fatal flaw. How would you compare Teen Wolf to working on other shows like Shooter or Days of Our Lives? Oh, wow, that's a big swing. Well, Days Days was my very first job many, many, many moons ago. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a, a direct comparison to, to Teen Wolf and Days. I mean, I think if anything, um, it was Days of Our Lives was a great training ground, right? Because the virtue of a soap, you're doing you know, sometimes two episodes a day. So it was a great training ground for getting dialogue, you know, down pretty quickly. Um, And I certainly enjoyed my time there. Shooter definitely lines up 
very closely, I would say, with with Teen Wolf and the fact that at least for me, it was a very physical role again. I mean, I played basically an assassin. So got to do a lot of, I, I did actually all of my own stunts and shooter. I mean, I was flipping wow. guys over my back. Really and cool. lot, yeah, it was fun. A lot awesome. of weapons work, which was really fun to do. Um, I mean, we had great, a great team training us all that, it, you know, people that were like green berets and special ops guys. And so that was really fun to, to be able to, uh, I didn't realize how heavy some of those guns are though. Like you're running with them and I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like 40 pounds and you're like trying to chase somebody um but that it you know it was a great cast and 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 similar you know to Kali I mean I think um Carlita Carlita had a choice too you know she was also like kind of the only woman in in really like a man's world right and had to was put in countless um, situations where she had had to prove herself to really find her way and to forge her own path. And that involved making some <laughs> choices that I think she came to regret, right? So very similar in, in, in that sense, but also very strong female. And, and, and I would say, you know, I would say probably a little more than Kali. She's a little more vulnerable, not initially, but showed a little more of her heart on her sleeve within her arc of, of the storyline. We should definitely do like a Teen Wolf Birds of Prey panel <laughs> of like the the like women villains and yeah. what like an alternate timeline would have been like if they just like formed a girl gang and were like lifting <laughs> each other up like, okay, I really liked Birds of Prey, you guys. <laughs> it was so good. And I feel like Teen Wolf did have some really badass women and it would be so totally. cool to explore what that would have been like if they had all been like you know what we've all been working so hard to get ahead in a man's world what right it. <laughs> <laughs> well if you guys see um it also reminds me of of 355 if you've seen it yet not yet i really want to see it but yeah, you should you should see it because it's you know it's literally just all of these like top of their game spies from different agencies and they're all literally trying to get the same thing and so same same story but yeah if you would have that's a really interesting thought because I mean I I think that'd be great actually to just see you know them band together and and let's see what they can do you know yeah original spinoff yes yeah, put, put yes it in the universe put it out yes there. yes do you have any fun stories from the Teen Wolf set that you'd like to share? Lots of laughs, you guys. We laughed a lot. I, I remember, I mean, I remember little things like, well, I remember Tyler Posey had gotten a puppy and he brought the puppy on set and just so adorable. I remember just like, you know, he was, the puppy was kind of like the, like the mascot, you know, like everyone <laughs> check the dog out in between shots and I don't have any specific stories. I just, it was just a great group of people. It's honestly like from the heart, all I can say, like a lot of laughing, a lot of fun, um, super supportive cast. I mean, I, I can say, I remember in Currents when Tyler Hecklin and I had that fight, you know, in the water. And this was one of the ones where I was like, okay, I'm going to do all my own stuff. I don't have to be hooked up to wires. I don't have to do flips so I can do this, right? <laughs> And it was going great, except, you know, barefoot, right? 
in water. It's like probably this much water on the ground. And I went to do a roundhouse, roundhouse kick to kick him. And I literally fell on my tailbone. Not so, oh, it's, it's okay. okay. But, um, you know, little, little funny in the moment. Cause you know, you're like feeling like, oh, I got, and then whoop, she was like, <laughs> it should have been a blooper reel. <laughs> but you know, I got back up. That's all that matters, right? Yeah. It is Absolutely. all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it, just, it was just a really fun set really fun set good times it's great to hear yeah yeah in your opinion who on the teen wolf set would have made the best alpha in real life Ooh, Ooh. honestly Haley webb would have been a great alpha she would have been a great alpha like that's another like alternate storyline you know had who knows had that last moment you know with her and colleague gone differently and and to your point they band together and she, you know, she somehow in, in, in great Teen Wolf writing style <laughs> becomes, <laughs> becomes, can become a werewolf. She would have been amazing alpha. Yeah. Okay. Cause she's not, I, I think she has such a great combination of, she has the strength, but she has the compassionate heart. Right. So I think that's where those two worlds, you know, if you're looking at like, you know, why I love Scott's character so much. Right. Because he is, he is all those things. Like he is, you know, the compassionate kind wants everyone to be okay. Wants to, you know, just has the, that strong moral compass. Like, I think that's who, who Jennifer really is before, right. Before yeah. such a betrayal. Yeah. So I think that's, it's interesting to see who people really are at the core of them. And then, you know, what happens, what happens to you does, does shape you. Mm-hmm. And after that, it's, you know, the choice and how you handle it, right? So you mentioned previously that you thought Styles was really funny. Is he your favorite Teen Wolf character? And which character do you feel that you relate to most? Um, I gotta say Scott. I do. His heart. Just like, I, you know, he's, he, Tyler's so great in that role. Because that's really it, who he is in real life so you know I'm not saying he's he's not playing himself but you know we bring a huge part of ourselves to every character um and I just think that you know the caring and the consideration and the concern for other people is just something that speaks to me and resonates with with me for sure and I like that, you know, seeing his evolution too I think that was it's you know we saw him go from you know like literally a kid who did, you know, who's like, what happened to me to what an amazing arc, right? And who he grew into. And yeah, I just, he's my favorite. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. What was the most challenging part of filming Teen Wolf? Um, I would say, I remember shooting a lot of late nights, like, Mm -hmm. and you know, when you're, when you're, especially when you're, I mean, it's really any of the, any of the wolves, but, you know, especially with the alphas that season, I felt like there was just a lot of overnight shoots. So we would, you know, we'd be out in Griffith Park sometimes, like, you know, your call time would be four o'clock in the afternoon and you'd wrap at 6.30 in the morning. And then you were then driving home in like LA traffic and you're like, okay, I'm awake. How many cups of coffee do I need? You know, so that was challenging. That's, but that happens in lots of shows, right? So you learn to adapt, but I would say that would be the most challenging part, but again, it was fun. So, you know, 
I don't know. I mean, like you said earlier, embarrassment of riches. Well, like, you know, if you're doing something you love, is it really that hard? No. You suck. Yeah. Which is more fun to play, a good guy or a bad guy? Well, bad guy, even though I, I don't, I hate, I don't, I not hate, but I tend to not like that label. I mentioned before, no one's good or bad, right? Everyone yeah. has mm-hmm. inherently both, you know, if you want to call it good or bad, but it's really just, it's really just lightness and darkness, right? Like, and we all have a shadow side to ourselves, And I think, you know, that sometimes can be perceived as bad and it's not, it's, it's, it's a part of you that is there, uh, on, on purpose. And, and it's, it's, I will say the fun part of playing a bad guy is at least on TV and film, there's a little, there's just a wider range of things you get to do. It gives you permission to, if you're a traditionally a good guy, then there's not much room, right? You're just, you're good, right? So, you know, you can't really go off the rails and, you know, and, and have necessarily a bad day because it doesn't really work within the storyline if, 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 that's, if that's who you are. So in the context of your question, definitely a bad guy. There's just more, it's just more fun. It's more fun, you know, but like bad guys have hearts too, right? Yep. So that's my, that's my favorite type of character to play. And it's because it's layered, right? I mean, like if you're looking at, you know, Joaquin Phoenix playing the Joker. Oh my God. I mean, like, you know, the range and the levels of things, you saw the vulnerability, you saw the hurt, you saw why he did, you know, some of the things and made some of the choices that he made. Um, did he do a lot of horrible things? Yes, but you still see the humanity. And I think that's, you know, that's always the goal of playing any character, you know? Yeah. Is that. Do you have a favorite scene of Teen Wolf either to film or to watch? Ooh, I would say, uh, I believe it was, I'm trying to remember the name of the episode. I think it was Frayed in the abandoned mall yeah that was so fun that was so fun i mean first of all this like that um that is actually an abandoned mall that that they shoot lots of different things in yeah and it's creepy real (laughs) (laughs) there was there was smells it was not clean but it was perfect for what we were doing and that was also like the first time like I was on a wire and I, you know, slid down that like pillar and that was super fun. And just all the stunts. I mean, we had the best stunt team. Like, I feel like Teen Wolf was doing stuff on shows like way before, um, you know, all of these shows that you now see um, in, you know, whether it's superhero stuff or like, they were just ahead of their time. They were just doing things Mm -hmm. and really going for it. And that was just exciting. And it was just, um, yeah, there, there was an ambiance to, to, to that, um, to the set and to all the characters. I feel like that's when the alpha pack kind of started to really find who they were. So. Yeah. It looked, it looked like fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did. And we've had like several people bring it up as being yeah. a very cool set. It, to be it was very cool. It was, yeah. It was very cool. I, I do remember trying to find the bathroom and getting lost at some point and there was like I like heard something I was like oh it's like a family of rats cool. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm gonna go this way 
<laughs> the zombie ads is so realistic. No, they just live here. Cool. <laughs> but I did have shoes on, so that's good. I did put on like that's was good. This, that is good. Well, he's not walking barefoot there, just yeah. in case you wondered. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of crossover between Supernatural and Teen Wolf fans. What was it like playing Michael on Supernatural? Oh my gosh, that was so fun. So I don't know. I must have this thing like of of like playing like it, so playing Michael. I was the only female to ever play Archangel Michael. So still Archangel Michael, but embodied in you know in in me. So that was really fun. I also did all my own stunts on that which was really so cool. Yeah. yeah, and it was cool because a lot of times, unless you've worked with the stunt coordinator before, they don't necessarily know what you can do. And I'm sure, you know, a lot, they have to deal with a lot of actors being like, yeah, I can do it. And so when we had our meeting, kind of to walk through the choreography, they had my my stunt double, you know, waiting in the wings and and the coordinator asked me what I was comfortable doing. I was like, well, all of it. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and I was like okay so and he actually had come from Lucifer um he worked on Lucifer for years and I actually I did a guest spot on Lucifer so we knew some of the same people so we were chatting and anyway we go through the first walkthrough and he's like oh 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 yeah you're oh you are good oh you can do this. and I was like yeah I can <laughs> so and, you know, it's just, I like to surprise people because they don't really see it coming, you know, um, which was fun. But getting to play, you know, Michael on, I mean, Supernatural it obviously has had an, had an incredible run. And, and Jared and Jensen are amazing to work with. Just, again, two great human beings, great actors. And it was just, it's fun. It's fun playing um, a bad guy again my eyes got to change and I didn't have to wear contacts this time but they did That's get good. to change which was <laughs> yeah it was a, it was a really great time I think those fans too just like Teen Wolf like they I mean they go hard so uh I Very like passionate. yeah so it, I think you know the comparison and I to be able to be involved with the show that has such a great you know long history and so many fans is always fun um and I'm hoping one day, you know, when my son's older, like I can show him like, look at mommy and he'll think I'm cool. You know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. you know, like he's four now. So he has no idea. But when he's older, I'm like, see, your mom is cool. Or she was <laughs> still cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Still yeah. cool. Still cool. Have you had any memorable fan encounters from any of these fandoms? The occasional person will be like, I'll be, I think it was maybe a few months ago, I was at a restaurant and the waitress like, was like, you just look really familiar. And I was like, I do, you know, like, and I don't, cause I'm not going to ever go through my, you know, I'm not like, hi, I'm an actor. <laughs> That's weird. Um, but she eventually connected it and she kind of, she got real excited and I took a picture. She was like, holy crap, you're Colleen. I was like, yeah. And she, <laughs> it was, it was really sweet. She was sweet. And she's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I was like, you're not imposing at all. Let's take a picture. And it's just, I mean, that's fun. It makes you feel good. It's nice to know that you, in some small way, if you can, can impact someone's life positively and they enjoyed something that you were a part of, like, that's, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
That is awesome. And it's it's great that you're able to have that moment with that waitress until she was reminding you that, you know, no shoes, no service. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about? Yeah, I mean, I'm working on a bunch of stuff right now. Um, so I finished um, season one of BMF, which is Black Mafia Family. It's Snoop Dogg, uh, 50 Cent's new show. Snoop is in wow. it. Yeah, it's, it's based on a, a true story um, of one of the biggest drug cartels in the country, um, in our country's history. I play, I'm actually, I don't know. Guys, I'm, this must be a running theme. I'm Now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, huh. So I'm... Um, the female commander of the drug task force and i'm literally the only woman who was the boss of a bunch of dude detectives so again do we, <laughs> i don't know there's something yeah, commanding about your presence something yes there. something there i will take it um so we're getting ready to go back for season two of that which is great nice i just finished season one of queens on abc working with i mean icons like eve and and Brandy and the Terry Naughton and uh, Nadine Velasquez. So that was really fun. Um, totally different vibe of show, but super fun. I am currently shooting Dynasty. Nice. So I am um, playing an indie film director on Dynasty and we'll see what's next. But yeah, I'm busy. Yeah. Awesome. I, That's good well, to hear. We love to hear it. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting. Can't yeah, wait to see I'm, that stuff come out. Thank you. I'm, I'm still waiting for though, like, you know, my my ultimate dream role is badass, tough. You know, I would love to be in a superhero type show or um, something with a group of women. I love that idea. Like, I I would love to see you know something in that vein. So we're putting it out there in the universe. Yeah. What happens? Yes. Fingers crossed. Yes. I'd love to Fingers see crossed. you in that kind of role. Me too. That'd be wonderful. So yes. Well, Felicia, this has been an absolute pleasure getting yes. to talk to you. Thank and you to so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Talk about a show that we all love very much and yes. um, just getting to, to stroll down memory lane back to Beacon Hills with you. And we really appreciate you joining us. Of course. Yes. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure and it's been it's been fun for me as well going down memory lane. So wonderful. Oh, yes. Wonderful, Love wonderful. Here. Well, we hope you have a great rest of your day and get to spend time with family and especially the, the, the sick kiddo. And yeah. um, we Feels will- better soon. Yes, absolutely. And we'll talk to you soon, okay? Sounds good. You guys take care. Have a good rest of your day. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We had a great time talking with Felicia, but now it's back to spoilers. I can't remember. Does Scott ever- end up watching star wars i think later on like in season five he starts to watch it with somebody maybe malia and they keep getting interrupted we'll have to circle back when we get to season five yes we will it seems like derek is pretty out of it when jennifer gets him to the loft yeah i feel like she would have really had to pry out of him where he even lived and didn't want to take it back to her place because you know she's got drock shit there <laughs> true so that's a red flag the fact that they end up at the loft instead of her place she would have had to take time to get that out of him yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that because, yeah, he was like going in and out. It's, I, I don't think he stumbled in front of her car and then was like, here's my address. I'll drop you his a pin. His fake. Yeah. Like his he, real address I, is on there. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure he didn't get it updated like when he started living at yeah. the loft. Yeah, definitely not. So guys, is this episode the closest we get to an actual haunted house on the show? 
Yes, and I love it. Yeah, except for I'd say like Eichenhouse. Yeah, but this is more... This is cooler. Yeah, it is cooler. Question. Are the connections between the motel, the Argents, and Deucalion a coincidence? Because, so, so we start with Alexander Argent going to the motel. The fact that he goes there to commit suicide is, I take it, because the motel is somehow suicide haunted. And then there's the fact that Deucalion bit Alexander, and that's why he committed suicide. But it wasn't Deucalion who engineered this whole thing to send the teenagers to the motel. We assume it was the Duroc so that she would have three more sacrifices. And that's why Lydia has that vision of her at the end. So is the fact that there's a connection with like Deucalion and the Argents as well, is that purely coincidental? Maybe? I'm not exactly sure. It, it might just be, you know, the, the writer's thumb on the scale a little bit that you can see where it's just like we need to have like a confluence of events sort of kind of happening all in one place. Confluence but, or conflagration. Oh, there it is. But I'm not exactly sure. I'm not sure how all that works out. What do you think, Calissa? I feel like it's just Teen Wolf wanting things in like a nice little bow, like tied up in a nice little bow of everything being connected. Yeah. But to me, it doesn't really make sense that, I don't know. That it would be pure coincidence that all those things kind of overlap. Yeah, it doesn't make sense as it being pure coincidence, but I also don't see like how it would come together that they, like it doesn't make sense that they all come together for me either. Yeah. Mm. Unless it's just truly like the Hellmouth Central. <laughs> I could see that where like this place is like a magnet for grief and despair. You but know? even then it's like, Dude, the fact that Deucalion was the one that bit right, Alexander but I, would just still like, like Deucalion doesn't seem like he really should have a connection to the place. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like if anything, if anyone was going to have a connection to this place, it would be the Duroc and not Deucalion. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, so because she shows up at the end. And um, yeah, so, but I think Cliss is right. I think this is just Teen Wolf having a nice little bow on stuff. But also I think a lot of it has to do with production where it's like, hey, if we're going to this location for multiple days, we're going to put as many scenes there as possible. So that suicide at the top of the episode, that's where it actually happens. All right. You know, it occurs to me that they might have actually been able to make that work if Kali had been the one to bite Alexander because, Mm. you know, turning back the clock to before Kali joined the alpha pack when she was just an alpha of a pack Mm -hmm. right what if she had been in a fight with hunters and she bit one of them hoping that she could get him to turn coat basically Mm -hmm. yeah and so she sends her emissary to follow him and see what he does and see like is that going to be a possibility or is he just going to kill himself like hunters often do when they get bitten yeah and so she follows him there realizes there's some sort of like weird dark magic doesn't do anything with that information in the moment but then after Kali tries to kill her and she becomes the Duroc she's like wait I know a place that's a magnet for grief and suicide I'm going to orchestrate this whole sequence of events at that location because I've had this supernatural magic in my back pocket this whole time yeah that would have been fun you know what just occurred to me, though, is that this opens up the can of worms that is, how do werewolves age? With Deucalion, I could kind of see it, but if it is Kali, then it's like... No, I mean, good. with Deucalion, like, the actual actor was born in 1972. He would have been seven. 
I, you like that's a lot of age difference because like you know you're talking probably like I assume about Gerard's brother there so like he would like the guy who bit him it seems like would probably be around the same age as Gerard yeah, now. not a seven-year-old we don't need well, to like, talk about be, like, I mean maybe <laughs> Kaylee has been an alpha since he was seven unlikely we know he wasn't supposedly evil until after the events that happened with page and everything which i mean i guess he would have to be evil to like kill the brother who's a hunt by well, the hunter brother we, but well we don't i don't remember if we learn like the circumstances of it so i mean it could have been a whole victoria Derek situation where it was a fight and he bit right in self-defense type of thing but he was so. seven right well like yeah i mean well, well, yeah i mean if a seven-year-old alpha gets attacked by a hunter that, that kid's gonna fight back <laughs> but uh yeah so because you're right, because we do have later on where it's like, oh, he was good up until his, until Gerard took his eyesight. And it's like, well, that was like 20, almost 30 years after the events of this teaser. So, But like, yeah, like this, again, because yeah, he committed suicide March 5th, 1977. <laughs> but he was bitten by Deucalion. Yeah. So... Now I, I'm just picturing a seven-year-old Deucalion getting in a fight <laughs> with this adult man. Yep. In front of the window, the seven-year-old kid is like, I am the demon wolf. And the lights just flicker. <laughs> they flicker That'd just a adorable. little bit. And uh, he's like, I got to work on that. <laughs> I've never actually heard anyone bring up how, like, it makes zero sense that Jekyllian is the one who bit him. Yeah. That, this and it's just even... now occurring to me. And I've seen that right. a lot. But this doesn't, like, is this, does this come into the story later when we have Talia and everything? Like, I mean, is this, like, is this biting of this hunter like the impetus that kind of leads us into stuff with talia and then gerard coming and all that or is this just a nothing moment where it's like we say a character did a thing but it really doesn't actually affect the story in any way i don't think it actually affects any way but i have not actually watched visionary a lot yeah yeah same well, we'll get there <laughs> we're gonna get there in a couple episodes he'd been alpha for apparently 40 years if gerard's telling the truth about him being the one who bit <sighs> Alexander. Well, we know, not no, by no, no in quotes, we know that wolves age differently than just humans. No, we don't. I know. We do I, not. It's in quotes. I said it was in quotes. I, I prefaced. I mean, Derek is aging like a normal person because when, when he gets turned into young Derek, he's 16, six years ago, right before the fire happened, which is exactly when Derek says it happened. Yeah. which would make him 22 at the start of the show, which is, I think, how old Tyler Hecklin actually was. So that lines up, like, year for year. But then we got to talk about Peter. It's like he has, like, reverse progeria or something because, you know, in Visionary, <laughs> he's super young looking. And that was only, like, a year or so, I think, before the fire. And mm -hmm. then six years later, he's a fucking 45-year-old. Well, that you could argue that that supports Calissa's theory that the story is about Peter because that would mean that the imagery that we see is actually just bullshit. It's the thread that he's weaving, but it's no, not what I, really happened. I, Calissa, I believe, is one hundred percent correct in this theory, just because it does not make sense that they. I mean, granted, hey, look, we all like Michael Fjordback, cool guy, but he should not have been in that flashback sequence 
just because they just it, thought it would be it, weird if, like Derek was taking advice from like a grown man. Well, it, well it, which weird do you want that he's taking advice from a grown man or that we have a character who ages like 30 years in six years and most of that oh. time was spent in a coma. I know which one. I, I'm just saying like I guess that's the reason why they did it though. I, I guess but I mean it's like it's still I'd yeah. rather have him giving advice. So I don't think I'm kind of reading over some stuff and it to me, it seems like it's not brought up again that uh, Deucalion's the one who bit Alexander, which possible, I guess, if he just attacked a hunter didn't know it was an Argent. Seems unlikely, because the Argents like to make themselves stone. But mm-hmm. That's true. He's actually the one who like kept pushing for like a truce with the Argents, and so he goes like there to meet Gerard like, in good faith, and that's when Gerard like, ambushes him. So it seems like it'd be like weird for him to do with these like yeah sorry about me like biting your brother but like here let's do a truce it would make sense if in that scene he did apologize or something it was like look he attacked me i defended myself i don't want these things to happen anymore you know it's like mm-hmm. that's why i'm here but you're right it never gets brought up and i i'm gonna venture a guess that the reason is is when they wrote when they were breaking and writing motel california they didn't know about that next episode that was coming and exactly all the minutia that was going to go into that betrayal. So then by the time they got around to it, they were like, oh, well, just don't talk about it. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately. Sometimes Teen Wolf goes by Fight Club rules. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that I think- No shirt, no shoes. Exactly. I think that's the only thing that will make it make sense because it doesn't make sense. Or at least that's the only explanation. So in Scott's hallucination scene, Deucalion says that Scott's an alpha now and Scott protests that Derek could still be alive. I know that Jeff told us that the alpha spark, so to speak, isn't inherited, but that really makes it sound like Scott thinks Deucalion would be saying that Scott inherited the alpha spark when Derek died. That's right. Deucalion says Scott is an alpha and Scott says, no, Derek could still be alive. Those two things have nothing to do with each other unless the alpha spark can pass between people. And are they trying to say that he kind of, quote, killed Derek by letting him die? I think it has to be that it can pass between people unless they're saying Derek's dead. So you're taking on the role of alpha for the pack or whatever this loose consortium of misfits of werewolves is. But I don't think the alpha pack would consider Scott an alpha just because he's got like... (laughs) A leadership position like they mean physically <laughs> literally an alpha right because otherwise manager <laughs> he's like middle management <laughs> but like otherwise the whole killing your pack to absorb their power thing wouldn't apply if you're just like the lead beta in a group of betas that you can't kill them and absorb their power that is not the alpha packs thing yeah, it has to be that he's implying that the spark passes between people, which it totally should. Yeah, because the only other possible explanation would be that they were saying Scott somehow accidentally killed Derek during the fight. Like, he accidentally pushed him or something, but I don't think the fight that we saw reflects that. Yeah, not at all. And and if that were the case, we'd be getting into this weird universe territory because then it comes down to, like, what is killing, what is murder, what's not murder. Mm-hmm. Right, like if you arrange for an alpha to be murdered, would it pass to you? 
Yeah. And, and it gets too weird, I think, when you get into stuff like that. You have to kill an alpha. You've got to rip their throat out. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to mean it and do it intentionally, or it passes between blood relatives. Those are the two ways to become an alpha. Or even, I would be fine with it being like, you don't have to be blood relatives, but if you're sort of like the second in command in the pack, like Scott, it could pass to you. Because otherwise, in this case, they'd be saying it passed to Cora. I mean, none of that is happening because Derek is still alive, but it seems like that's what's being implied in the scene with Deucalion. Yeah. A lot of things to ponder. I definitely feel like Scott believed it was like getting passed out to him. Right? Yeah. I like the bit where Ethan kicks Danny's books off the bed. I like to think the reason Danny disappeared later on is because he got accepted somewhere early. Yeah, early admission. Yeah, he finished with enough credits to graduate early and was just like, bye-bye, Beacon Hills. <laughs> I could totally see that. When Jennifer asked what Derek needed to heal, I thought, got a magical vagina on you. <laughs> yeah, go, go check the bathroom cabinet for that. There's no way either of them had a condom, by the way. Yeah. I don't think Derek has the kind of relationship with sex where he would keep condoms around. And that bit from the script that you told us about, Calissa, kind of highlights that the whole, like, he'd forgotten how to kiss thing. He does not seem like the type who is keeping condoms around and expects to be bringing people home. But maybe magical uteruses can't get pregnant, so. And Derek heals, so he doesn't have to worry about STDs. Okay, maybe he's like a 90s prostitute and he doesn't kiss on the lips. (laughs) Pretty werewolf. (laughs) <laughs> it's strange that Dirac shows up at the motel she's like uh Derek I have to run to the bathroom what's that that is really weird and we don't actually cut back to the loft after that point so like mm-hmm. was she did she just like hit and quit she left a note being like hey went to get coffee and pancakes see you don't later. call me I'll call you oh <laughs> okay I think it's funny that you know the episode ends with Lydia realizing that the wolfsbane powder was in coach's whistle and they never actually suspect coach of anything even though it was his whistle that poisoned them yeah they know he's like too wackadoodle to be an evil mastermind it could be a long con yeah the longest of cons yes (laughs) if any of them had older siblings i bet they would have heard about like so many stories i supposedly did but you know right he died because that's what happens to siblings they'd be dying left and right I forgot actually earlier in this podcast when we were talking about how nobody has siblings because if they have siblings, they die, that Boyd also had a sibling who died. Yeah. Isaac has a dead sibling. Boyd has a dead sibling. Everybody else is an only child. Yeah. Derek has dead siblings and one living one. Oh, that's right. He does. So the dead or flees back to South America, I guess. <laughs> Those He's are the been only dead options. for many years, though. Presumed dead. That's true. Presumed dead. Yep. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss season three, episode seven, Currents. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.